you know, it's easy for a designer to just open that design file and start moving around components and try to see what looks better rather than stepping away from the screen for a bit and try and consider what content we're trying to show and how we should present it. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hey, and welcome to Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval, and I'm the founder of UX Writing Hub. And today we're going to have a super inspirational episode with Greta van der Mer. And her story is fascinating because Greta knew about UX Writing. She was one of the first members in our UX Writing group on Facebook, Microcopy and UX Writing. Her name there is Princess Greta, and now she is a moderator of the community. Greta's story is fascinating because she was hired to a startup company named Karim a few years ago as a copywriter, and she knew about how badly that company needs a UX writer. So she was eager enough to try and promote the fact that UX writing is a thing and her organization need to have one. And eventually they agreed to hire her as a UX writer. The name of her organization is Karim. Karim, it's a company that a few months ago actually was acquired by Uber by $3.2 billion. And Greta was the first UX writer on this company. Now she works as a senior UX writer. She was promoted and she is leading UX writer in that organization. She's also a very good friend of mine and I'm always happy to chat with her. She was a student in our first course of UX Writing Hub and yeah, now she works as a mentor for the UX Writing Hub. So Greta is a mentor in our course, which is exciting. And now you have the option to listen to what she has to say about her journey of becoming a UX writer uh, stay with me after the intro and enjoy. I'm really happy today that you're here, Greta, because you are one of the first active users of our Facebook community. You have a lot of responsibility of why the community is big as it is today. And I'm very happy because I have the opportunity to work with you today in the UX Writing Hub. And I'm really enjoying your skills as a UX writer. So thank you for coming today, Greta. Thank you for having me. In terms of the Facebook community, I was extremely happy to find it, actually, because I think we were, you know, when you first discover UX writing or you think you know you're doing something around writing and user experience, um, you're just looking for other people who are doing the same thing. So when I found that group, I was, it was amazing. Yeah. Good. So I'm happy that we found each other. To be honest, I really think and I feel like you're one of the most talented UX writers I know. And I know it's going to, uh, you're going to be embarrassed because I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was really enjoying seeing your task in our, uh, in our UX writing course. And now we are also on our board as a UX writing mentor. So I'm very happy that I have the option, the opportunity to work with you. And before we're going to dive into what do you do, I want to speak with you a little bit about uh, your company. So you work in uh, Karim as a UX writer. Can you tell us a little bit about, can you tell us a little bit what is Karim exactly? Karim is a ride-hailing app founded in the Middle East. So we started out in Dubai and then we operate now in uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Pakistan, those are like our biggest markets. There are more countries around the MENA region. So we started out as a ride-hailing company. The founders spotted a need in the region 
for reliable transport because they they are they were McKinsey consultants. They couldn't get to their meetings in a reliable manner. So they sought to solve that problem. Now, it's true, Uber was already in the market at that point in time. If our listeners need to imagine right now a service, so it would be very similar to Uber. So yeah, the, the founders set out to solve more regional problems uh, because the market is uh, a lot different from the U.S., So the the problems are slightly unique. And over the last six years, we've built an incredible business, not just ride hailing. We're also uh, solving some mass transport issues and payments. And we got acquired by Uber a few weeks ago. That's exciting. So uh, our forces are merged. Okay, so we started saying that uh, Karim is solving problems that are slightly different than the regular commute problem, uh, like uh, payments, and you said also mass transport, yes. So tell me more about solving those issues that is slightly different than uh, Uber. The things I mentioned, payments, mass transport, and delivery, those mm-hmm. are more uh, verticals that we are expanding into. But when it comes to to the more regional problems that we're solving. The infrastructure in the Middle East and uh, Pakistan, it's not the same as your well-established grid system of New York City. And so the roads are different, the infrastructure of the cities are different, and the people are different. The cultures and the ideologies that govern these places are, are different. For example, when we started playing with the idea of pooling, Um, you have to take into consideration the, the local cultures. Uh, it's not just fine for a woman to get into, a, into the same car as a man. So we had to create ways of you know, identifying uh, which users are female and which are male and how we can pair them or avoid potentially awkward situations. There's also different customs where you know, part of the service, we, our idea of a luxury service would be where Your driver gets out and opens the door for you, but in, in certain cultures that's frowned upon. So it's, it's about understanding the market and really trying to localize the service uh, that we're offering. So it's not just a copy and paste of Uber and you know, yeah, you have a car, we have an app, book a ride. Yalla, let's go. <laughs> it's, um, it's a bit more complex and each city, each market is different. So in order to localize a service of uh, not localize, but in order to create a service like Karim, In the Middle East, so what was your biggest challenge? Yeah, so from a user experience and UX writing point of view, the biggest challenge to this day is localizing the content. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, a fight that I've had with, um, with other parts of the organization because we, we really try to sell ourselves as a local company and we should be seem local in Pakistan and local in Egypt and local in Saudi Arabia. And um, you can't do that by just, you know, reproducing the same content or just translating content. So it's been a real struggle, especially because we don't have uh, internal resources allocated to the task. So we don't have translators sitting in, in near my desk <laughs> And we start most of our copy in English. So I would work with UX designers and create the English copy and that's fine. And then we send it off to some translation agency and it comes back and it's terrible <laughs> or, or it doesn't fit into the UI because Arabic is 
about 1.5 times longer, I think, than the English text. It's also right to left uh, versus left to right. Exactly, and everything is flipped. And because it's an app, so the translations kind of happen in the back end, right? So the, the developers need the translations, but they don't, they don't really care how they get it. They just want it in some kind of organized manner, whether that's an Excel sheet or, uh, exter- or, yeah, or an external tool. So it seems really simple for them. There was a lot of frustrations internally for them. They don't understand why, what's taking so long. And, you know, I have to make the case, look, for, for us to send a flow or a screen for translation, the translator needs to understand the context. They need to know what that button means. They need to know where the user came from, what was the step before, what made them land on this screen, where are they going next. So a lot of trial and error. <laughs> Um, we actually finally, we started using a tool last year called Transifex. Uh, it's, it's actually still not ideal. So what uh, we've done, and this is actually going live next week, uh, one of the developers and myself sat together and we kind of uh, figured out what each party needs. So like, what do the developers need for this to be successful and what do the UX writers need for this to, to work? Uh, because we also recently got our first Arabic UX writer on the team. So that's exciting. So he built a web tool, built our own little hack <laughs> of a process. And we'll see it's going live next week. But what is the new process based on the new tool that you've created? So the developers only ever have to use this web tool where they input the key and a string and a tag. And then this sends the key, the string, and the tag to TransFX. It also sends the key, the string, and the tag to an Excel sheet. Because what's happening today is we get requests daily, maybe three requests from one developer, two requests from another developer. We also have more than one app, right? So we have iOS and Android. We have the customer app and we have the captain app or the driver app. So there's no way to manage when, when these, you know, manage the load of the requests you know, doing them ad hoc as they come in is not efficient. It wastes a lot of time because we have to brief, we have to create a brief to send to the people in the different markets to help us translate. So basically we have, uh, if I understood correctly, so many developers every day send you two to three to four requests, which means you have a bulk, a load of requests for you as a writer. This is too much and you can't reply or, or take care of each request when it happens. So you developed a new tool. Yes. You still get a, a load of requests and you created a tool to make it a little bit more efficient. And with that tool, the developer can uh, tag the request, if I understood correctly. They tag the string. So TransFX has a feature where you can add a tag to a string and then you can filter strings by tag. So it's mm-hmm. much easier for us to kind of bundle strings that go with a particular feature. Instead of sending the translator random, a random list of strings, we can bundle strings that go on the same screen or in the same feature together because they have the same tag. And then we just share a screenshot um, and give some background about the feature. So it's much clearer to the translator what they're working on rather than just a list of you know, alphabetical strings or strings that appear in the order that they've been uploaded. <laughs> yes, so they can understand the context. Yeah. And do you need to, are you some kind of a gatekeeper for the tag strings or send it straight to the translators? Today, the writers, myself and my two colleagues, are 
what you call the gatekeepers. So we, <laughs> it's actually quite cool. We've named this new process, the translation bus. <laughs> um, so we basically, the developers can continue uh, uploading strings up to every Tuesday at 3 p.m. The translation bus leaves. Um, and that's when we take all the requests and we, we bundle them um, and then we send them off to the different people in the different markets yeah, that can help us. And the developers can carry on uploading strings and it doesn't stop them, but it's just that batch leaves and then it will, it will, their new requests will be on the next bus. I just wonder if the developers, they work on strings in many languages or only English and then you send it to the translators? They work only on English, yeah. So right now uh, we start all our designs in English. It's not ideal. Like I mentioned, we have our first uh, Arabic UX writer. I identified a crucial gap in our team. Um, it wasn't enough just to hire another English UX writer. We also needed to hire an Arabic UX uh, writer, which uh, is actually quite rare, to be honest. So we were very lucky to find our Arabic UX writer, who's not only a specialist in the Arabic language, but also a specialist in user experience. So that helped a lot. He actually worked at, a, at another uh, startup from the region before. That was lucky. So I think now it's, it's quite new. We haven't quite figured out the process yet. Our user base is like, it's almost 50% Arabic and almost 50% English and then small, you know, French, Urdu, Turkish, other languages in the region. It would help immensely if we, if some of the features, at least that we know, are for the, you know, more important for the Saudi market. Maybe we start that in Arabic. We haven't nailed it yet, but we'll see. Cool. I wanna ask. We have some listeners here. They are eager to go and be a UX writers. Uh, they wanna learn all about how to get in the field of UX writing. So, what is your history with UX writing, and how did you? got into this field? I think there are uh, many different ways that you can get into the field. Just uh, having done this for just over a year, the stories I've heard are so diverse. Um, but personally, I actually, I started in traditional copywriting in an ad agency in South Africa, and I loved it. Um, I really loved how I could use words <laughs> to persuade people and impress people. And to an extent, advertising is a bit of a, a job that strokes your ego. <laughs> um, and that was cool. And I actually moved to a digital agency in Dubai as a copywriter where I, I worked a lot more on digital products. And I had to, you know, consider there's a lot of web-based stuff. And I really had to consider a user journey for the first time. One of my colleagues pointed out that I should look into user experience. And at that time, I, I think he actually said UX. And I was like, I was a bit annoyed with him because we were working on a project at the time. And I was like, what, what, what's UX? And uh, <laughs> he was like, no, check it out. I think, think you'll enjoy it. And that night at home, I did, I Googled it. I'm like, okay, this is, this seems pretty cool. And I decided to do an online course in user experience. That was amazing. And it opened a whole new world. And I, yes, I, I couldn't look at advertising in the same way. I thought, um, you know, up to that point, I thought advertising was 
a great vehicle for copywriting and, and messages. I didn't, I, and I just, I couldn't look at it the same way. I, I actually got a bit annoyed with advertising because none of it, none of it was based in, in facts or data. All these insights that we dream up in advertising um, just come from our own experiences, you know, or our own ideas. So with my uh, heavy heart breaking up with advertising, I did actually get a job offer from Kareem. I knew that they were a, a tech company. So I figured, okay, if I do join them as a copywriter, maybe I have a better chance of side shuffling into the tech side and the user experience side of things. And that's kind of how it happened. I joined Kareem as a creative copywriter for the advertising team. Um, and then my spy tactics, I uh, <laughs> located the lead uh, design, the design lead and uh, contacted him directly. I told him I want to be on his team. Yeah, because at that point, they didn't have a writer in their design team. So a bunch of the screens would come to me anyway, way too late, right? So they would send me screen to just check the copy. And with my newfound UX <laughs> course that I had done, I would feel so frustrated because I would want to solve the whole user experience at that point. I did have a bit of a case to make to the design lead. I said, look, your designers are sending me the screens anyway. Um, at, at that point, I don't have uh, any influence, really. I can help you. So it took a couple of months of convincing, uh, making a case, but we got it done. So I, I officially joined the UX team in November of 2017. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, this is super inspiring stuff. I didn't know it, first of all. So basically, what you did... If I'm simplifying the whole thing, you came to a huge tech company, a big, big, big tech company that didn't have any idea what UX writing is even. And then actively you took with their responsibility and you created that position and made them understand that there is a need for that position. And then when they understood it after a few months, They hired you as a UX writer because they understood after all of your efforts that they need one. And then you got the job. And, and it's also important to say that you were promoted lately to be the senior UX writer of Karim, right? Yes. You know, those months of convincing to where we are today is leaps and bounds. Like, uh, as you mentioned, I, I got promoted to senior writer and I was also able to hire more people. So we have another... Uh, English UX writer and our very own Arabic UX writer. So we are a team. <laughs> By the way, do you work with the design tools like uh, Sketch, Figma, Adobe XD? Um, yes. So our designers work with Figma. We actually, we migrated from Sketch to Figma almost a year ago. And yeah, so we, as the writers, we also work in Figma uh, in collaboration with the designers. It's really helpful uh, compared to the old sketch system where we had to merge files. <laughs> Because Figma is a collaborative tool and you can, uh, like someone can send you, it's like the Google Docs of uh, designers. Yeah, it's amazing. And because you can have different pages, right? So we, I have uh, one of our designers, she creates a page for me. It's called Greta Playground. And then I just, uh, I just copy and paste the screens in there that I want to kind of, Uh, test out 
copy, right? So if you have uh, one bottom sheet and you want to, I don't know, get get a user to confirm an amount, uh, there's different ways you could do it, right? So that allows me to play around with different headlines, different body copy, different uh, call to actions for the button. And I can do multiple iterations and see the copy in the design, in the layout without, you know, previously I would create a, a Google Doc and write all my iterations in a table format. And it's just not the same. You, you cannot imagine what that would look like on the screen. So it's really great to have to be able to insert the text in the design yourself and, you know, play around with some components. So we have a, a design system. So the designers help us out quite a lot and show us how Figma works, where we can find different buttons, all of this, so that we could, you know, maybe play around with our own UI layouts and <laughs> suggest that to the designers. That's a really good tip because uh, I think that in the ideal world, the writers should know how to work with the design tools and the designers should know how to write basic protocopy and then like, the collaborations would be so much more efficient. Like I try to get the designers excited uh, about the copy. <laughs> I think uh, in my head, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to learn how to write? And I did a small session with the designers on protocopy to give them different ways of just using something close to real copy in their designs. But I don't know if I need to do more because I feel like it only landed with a few designers. Some of them are really interested in creating good holistic experiences, like they understand the value of creating good copy. Some of them, some of them I don't even, like I've, I trust them so much with the copy that they've created that I just throw my eyes over their designs and, it's, and it looks really good. But others, I don't know if they don't care or if it's not... What do you see there that they're not, uh, that you feel like they don't care? Do you see lorem ipsum or maybe just really, really bad copy? Luckily, I got them to get to, to move away from lorem ipsum completely. So that's cool. We never see lorem ipsum. But the, that's good. I think it's more, it's more a lack of consideration for the copy and more caring about how it looks, which of course it is important. But my wish is that they would start the design process on paper so I mentioned earlier that we have a design system and that's really cool for when you want to play around with components. At the same time, I feel like it's kind of limiting the innovation from the design side because, you know, it's easy for a designer to just open that design file and start moving around components and try to see what looks better rather than stepping away from the screen for a bit and try and consider what content we're trying to show and how we should present it to the user. So kind of considering the hierarchy first and then trying to, um, to put it in layout instead of creating a layout and then trying to fill it with copy. I agree. Yeah, I'm also trying to preach to everyone to start with pen and paper, sketch the design, sketch the content. It's very limiting uh, to use an actual, like an existing component. Yeah, especially if you're, if you're staring at that screen for hours on end no you shouldn't start with a computer like my tip as a product designer i would say that i had that mistake a lot of time in my life starting a process with with pixels and not with ink it's just wrong in my opinion in so many ways i recommend like take pen and paper sketch maybe 20 25 30 ideas 
of layouts, put it on the wall, review it with your team. And only when, when you have something that you will say, okay, this is a smart solution, only then go to your design system and, uh, and build that layout. And if there is components that doesn't exist in the design system, so create them because design system is a living organism that we need to feed. Yeah. <laughs> so cre- create it and then uh, go back, like go to the design tool. Yeah, that's my two cents about that. Yeah, even like I'm trying to also to get uh, the designers to even just think in content. Even before we sketch, is it possible to list out the content uh, elements that you think is going to go on that screen? So if you know it's, like I mentioned earlier, <laughs> the example of getting getting someone to confirm an amount, you know there's going to be a headline, but instead of writing headline, think realistically. Even if it's just a bullet point, what would that headline say? And then if you just create a bullet list of those content elements and then start sketching and putting the content elements in your sketch. Yeah, I think it's like 30 to 40% of the work done before you go to the computer. Right. There is some listeners that I I assume they're a little bit overwhelmed with the learning to work with a new design tool like Figma or Sketch or whatever design tool their their team is uh, working so how difficult it was for you to understand uh, working with Figma? What are your tips for someone that just starting out uh, working with design tools? When we were using Sketch, I didn't explore a lot. So to this day, I don't know much about Sketch. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. I was scared that I would break things because the Sketch files were you know, they were versioned. So I didn't want to mess anything up. So I just tried to, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just work in docs and the the designer can take the copy and, and paste it into the design. Then when we moved to Figma and there was the option to create a whole different page, remove things, click on things, change their color without any master files being affected, that changed the whole game for me. And it removed that fear of trying to, you know, play around with some things. Having a dedicated area for a writer, Greta's Playground, for example, which is a separate page. By the way, you can create separate pages on Sketch too, but I guess it's a little bit hard to track those if you have so many master files or different files. And in Figma, it's easier because you have one file and in that file you have an, a page that is dedicated for only for the writers. And then you, you said that you felt more comfortable working on that playground because you knew you're not going to break anything. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I think that's the biggest fear for writers is, oh, I don't know how to do this. Also, yeah, I mean, in Sketch, it's difficult if I do work on the design, uh, directly on the, on the design, um, and my copy is longer than the button the designer made for it. I didn't know how to change the button length, for example. But on Figma, I wasn't scared because I can just do it on my own page. You know, I just drag that button. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there are a lot of tutorials uh, online that you could search for, but it also helps that designers in our team are very, very helpful. If I ask them, how do I make a gradient on this background? <laughs> then they, they're more than willing to show you. So asking also goes a long way. That's really good. Yes, and if you're just a writer that's just starting out with UX writing and you don't know anything about design tools, 
and you don't have a design team that can support you with any questions. So we're about to launch in the next weeks, in the next few weeks, uh, our Figma for Writers course. And our listeners are getting uh, free access to it. Yes, so you should uh, definitely check that out. And also send us Figma. Figma. Send us uh, feedback and tell us uh, what you think about it. Yeah, I think that's very cool. It's almost liberating or empowering for a writer to be able to handle those design tools, you know, and, and not yeah. be and not be dependent on a designer. I think so too. Yes, actually, the course is not Figma for for writers. It's uh, design tools for writers, and uh, we're talking there also about uh, whimsical. And uh, I guess that in the future we're going to talk also uh, about the differences between Sketch and XD and Figma for those that their teams haven't migrated yet to Figma. Uh, personally, I don't like Figma that much. Just the collaborative feature is what makes it so unique for the writers and the designers to work together. But Sketch is my go-to. I like it. I like the integrations with Sketch. I like how I can design maybe two and a half times faster than Figma with Sketch. Yeah, and also Figma doesn't support right to left. So that's a big... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big, big, big issue. We need to hack some of the processes. So that's uh, it's a bit shitty. It is. But nothing is perfect, you know. The, the, there is like a war right now between many, many design tools and uh, someone would eventually win. I think that Adobe XD are doing a really amazing job. And if they will create a collaborative feature, I think uh, that would be the tool I will be working with because they have really awesome prototyping tool, like amazing. I wonder what a tool designed by writers would look like. Hmm. I heard about this tool named the Copy with K. Have you heard about it? Oh, yes, I did. I was actually part of the beta rollout, but mm-hmm. I, I struggled a lot to use it. A lot of bugs, right? I, I was also part of the beta. Yeah, that tool was about, I think it was integrated with Sketch and then you could implement your copy back to the Sketch file, something like that. But uh, there's a lot of experiences right now to create the perfect tool for designers and for writers. And Figma definitely right now to this date feels like uh, the best solution. Uh, But we'll see. You know, I think that in one year from now, stuff is going to look a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. But uh, if you want to test your copy or a new feature, and we've talked about this, you told me that it really depends on, on what we're testing here, but is there some kind of a testing method that you can recommend or that works better than the others for you? It really does depend on what we're testing. So we're very lucky as well. We have this uh, little test hub that was set up by our uh, researchers in our, in our UX team. That, has, that runs tests every two weeks and we just have to submit you know, our plan and what we want to test. They, they get the participants and they either run it in Dubai or Egypt or Pakistan. And it depends. So up to now, the things that were interesting was uh, the content hierarchy of our help section. For that, we used like a card sorting exercise um, to let people, to see how people would structure the content to get to where they, to the article that they think would help them. Yeah, just these in-person interviews, I find, and it takes a bit of practice, I think, but trying to really listen to the words that the people use when they answer your questions or when they think out loud, when they need to, even when they are doing usability testing, 
just really trying to focus on on what they're saying. And I think what helps is if you are running a test, a quick test uh, in you know in your company, have one of the writers maybe be the note taker of that session because they they might be a bit more even though you might be recording the session or but it might be really useful to really listen to how they're using the words they use to explain what they think they're using. Also, you can, uh, after you record, uh, transcript it and then go through the text. Yeah, because a lot of the gems are, are in what people, how people actually refer to your product or your feature. That's cool. So you have a testing hub and you submit once in every two weeks whatever you want to test. So you have another bus, the test bus, right? <laughs> And they test whatever you ask them to. This is really, really cool. And it's useful also, right? Yeah. So I think uh, the world of testing copy, I find it's a bit challenging uh, because we are still, the ratio of uh, writers to designers are so very, very small uh, or very unbalanced. So designs often get an advantage. So they, they get tested first. Plus, I don't know how to say this, but we don't, necessarily have copy ready to test by the time that they do a usability test. The perception is that it's fine to test a feature with semi-okay copy. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do to, to make sure that our, when we do a usability test, those designs also have copy that's ready to be tested. Because I think that the outcome of a test has a lot to do with all of the elements on the screen, right? Not just the designs. So if you have some shoddy placeholder copy, I don't think the data that you're recording would be accurate compared to when you have semi-final copy. So um, before we're wrapping up uh, our talk, I want to ask you a little bit about if you want to get updated with everything that, is going on with the UX community or with the UX writing community? Which kind of resource do you use? Uh, if it's blogs uh, or even books, what's your, what's your go-to? Up to now, it has been the Facebook group you've created. Um, I think that is just a wealth of uh, information because members on that group uh, range from complete newbies to uh, experts, you know, like the, the people who, who write the books. <laughs> so um, the micro copy book writer, she's in there. Um, it's a great book, by the way, that one. Um, and then I found, uh, I'm kind of, <laughs> I've created this little world of being surrounded um, just by a micro copy and UX groups. So now every time I open Facebook, I get notifications from, from the microcopy UX group. I rarely open Facebook for anything else these days, by the way. Um, on LinkedIn, what is that group called? Um, yeah, I just rebranded it to UX writing. I found people would look UX writing on LinkedIn and just want to be the first one showing up on the group section. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's almost like I've, I've set up my social media stuff to make UX content come to me. <laughs> So I get notifications on Facebook from the group. I get notifications from LinkedIn, from uh, the UX writing group. My inbox is constantly full of articles and stuff to read. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Uh, Greta, thank you so much for being here today. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And I'm sure also that the listeners are going to learn a lot. If um, one of the listeners want to find you, what will be the best possible way to find you? I think the best place to find me would be on LinkedIn. I have a bit of a difficult surname to spell. I will add a link in the show notes. I also hang around on the Facebook group quite a lot. Right. So join the Facebook group if you're not there. Greta is one of our community uh, moderators. So if you have a specific question or a discussion that you want to create about the field of UX writing, post it over there. And I promise that one of us is going to answer you. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. I would love to thank Greta for joining me for the last episode of Writers in Tech. If you like this episode, please share it with the world and have an hashtag, come on Elon, because I want to interview Elon Musk for one of the episodes of Writers in Tech about the future of Writers in Tech and voice interface design. I think he's going to have a great take on that. So that's about it. And if you like the episode, why don't you listen to another episode? You're going to like it. Why don't you stay with me? No, I'm just kidding. So uh, see you next time. And till then, have a great day. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again. And that's all for this week.